Well, I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles, please, to Second Thessalonians chapter 3. I'm tempted to read the whole chapter because um, it's been so long since we were looking at it. But I think we'll just read from verse 10 of the chapter. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and beginning our reading at verse 10. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 beginning at verse 10. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busy bodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always, by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the, the token in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. We know the Lord will again bless the reading of his precious word to our hearts. Let's just unite at the throne of grace in prayer. Our loving and our gracious God, we come to thee at the end of our meeting today to consider thy word. And we thank thee for the practical instruction that we have in the word here today. Our God, we recognize that God is not just the God of the uh, worship and the uh, supernatural, but we recognize that thou art the God of the ordinary and the God who is with us day by day, not just on the Lord's day, but every day. And we thank thee that thou hast instruction not only for our worship, but for our work. And we pray, gracious God, that thou wilt enable us to see thy word today, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. Now, as we've been looking through this epistle, and as I say, it's a few weeks since we were in it, uh, we noticed that there was a big problem among the Thessalonian Christians. And there were some people who had written to them, it seems as if they were almost pretending to be the Apostle Paul, and certainly the people had taken that these were instructions from Paul to say that the day of Christ was at hand, the second coming was near at hand. And if you look at chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul's prayer was that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. And you gather from the letter here that this uh, thought that they had now, this teaching that many of them accepted, that the coming of the Lord was just very near, uh, had uh, disrupted them. They had become shaken in mind. They'd become troubled over this. And many of them had abandoned their work and were now living from hand to mouth and really were sponging on the other brethren in the church. And we read that Paul is not going to take this lightly. 
Uh, if you look at verse 10 of the chapter, he says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So Paul is uh, taking this seriously. Look at verse 11. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. So not only had they stopped working, but because they had time on their hands now, they were sticking their noses into other people's business. And they were uh, getting involved in things that they shouldn't have been getting involved in. And they, they were gossiping. And Paul refers to them here as busybodies. And what had happened to these people is that they had lost their composure. Instead now of getting ready to spread the gospel, there were other cities uh, that were in need of the gospel. There were other places to be reached with the gospel. Instead of doing that, now they had just given up work. They said, well, the Lord's coming uh, very soon. The Lord's just at hand. So we don't need to work. We don't need to do it. What's the point in working? What's the point in laboring? We're going to be taken up to heaven very soon anyway. And Paul says that they were shaken in their mind. And Paul is concerned about their attitude. And he's determined to face them straight with this attitude. Now, it's not a common thing, but we do have this sometimes in our own day and generation. Uh, the uh, Seventh-day Adventists uh, really came out of um, a declaration by a Baptist minister called William Miller. And he had determined by the prophecies, the 2,300-day prophecy of Daniel, that the Lord would come back to earth in 1843. And that was later revised to 1844 when he didn't come in 1843. And many of them put on what they call resurrection robes, and they went up to the top of mountains, waiting for the Lord to come, and the Lord didn't come. And it didn't happen. Even more recently, Harold Camping, the general manager of Family Radio in America, uh, predicted that the coming of the Lord would take place, the rapture would take place, on May the 21st, 2011, it didn't happen. So he revised it to um, October the 21st, 2011, and it didn't happen. But there was a girl in Russia, a 14-year-old Russian girl, who committed suicide over the prediction. So we need to be very careful about these predictions here because they make people unstable in their minds at times. And this is what had happened in the church in Thessalonica, they'd become unstable in their minds. But I want you to see how Paul brings a practical solution. And he does become very practical. Because the Christian life is not just about prayer and about the reading of the Word of God and the contemplation of theology. The Christian life is also very practical. And I want you to see how Paul highlights here a number of practical things that the Christians in Thessalonica who had been shaken in their minds needed to put right. And I want us just to look at those practical things for a few moments today. And the first thing that we notice that Paul speaks about here in the light of these people being shaken in their mind, he takes on the subject of work. Now, this is a, maybe a, 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 a strange subject to take on the Lord's Day. This is our day of rest. This is the Christian Sabbath. 
and we don't uh, think about work too much, or maybe we don't want to think about work. But what is our attitude to work? Many people look on work as a curse. It's just a thing to be got through. But work is not a curse. Now, man was cursed in the Garden of Eden, and he was cursed that he would work in the sweat of his brow. But he worked before the curse. He was to tend the garden, he was to dress it, and he was to keep it. So work itself was not included in the the curse. It was the fact that the work was to become harder. And we have many today, and they have different attitudes to work. Most people on average spend 40 hours a a week working, and yet, strangely, the topic is not one that we scrutinize often. So when we come to it here, I want us to see what the Bible has to say about work. Look at verse 10. He says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Now, there are two extreme attitudes to work. First of all, there's the work of workaholic who never stops working. Maybe six or seven days a week from morning to night, you're working. Now, that comes to the place where it is an idol, where work becomes an idol, where there's no time for anything else, where there's no time for family, where there's no time for worship, where there's no time for prayer, where there's no time for God then uh, work has become an idol. The other attitude is the uh, attitude of laziness, where people don't want to work. There are those that are work shy. I heard of someone that said that hard work might not kill me, but why take the chance? And there are many people of that attitude. But there, most people sort of look on work as um, like the bumper sticker that said, um, I, owe, I owe so off to work I go. And maybe that's the attitude that you have. I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. But I want you to see that there is a command to work here. Work is something that God has commanded right from the very beginning. As we say, the first instruction to Adam was to dress the garden and to keep it. And you think of the commandment in Exodus chapter 20, and it says, remember, and it's referring back to the creation ordinance. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor. Now, the primary emphasis is upon the rest in that commandment. But he also says, six days shalt thou labor. And that's something that we want to recognize. And we have the uh, example of the Lord. We remember how it says in the commandment, for in six days... The Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested on the Sabbath day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So we have the example, if the Lord labors, uh, we have a laboring God, and we are made in the image of God, so it is part of us to labor. And when people lose their jobs, and maybe when they're a long-term unemployed, Uh, They begin to get all sorts of anxieties and begin to feel as if they are useless. And that's why, because we are made to labor. That's part of what we are. Human beings are made in the image of God, and it is a central place in our lives, work and labor and all of the rest of it. So there is a command to labor. We are to work. 
Then I want you to see the condemnation of laziness. Look at verse 10 again. He says, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. So you can see what happened here. There were those in the Thessalonican church, Thessalonian church who had stopped working. And they were then relying on other Christians to feed them and to help them. And uh, they were uh, giving to those that were in need. Now as part of the responsibility of the church to give to those that are in need, the first committee was appointed to look after the widows and to look after those that were in need. And particularly, I want to say this, in these days of stringency, that is part of the duty of the church. Now, what I find is that when at times we, as a church, would have offered help to people, um, I can see why it is, but people don't want to be given something by the church. Maybe you look upon it as charity. Um, Receive it. It's part of the duty of the church to help one another. And particularly in these days of economic stringency, uh, we as brethren and sisters um, get through it together. So don't reject that. Don't, don't, uh, well, you know, think, well, um, people will be looking at me and uh, sponging off one another. That's, that's not it. That's not what was happening here. Now, Paul condemns these people because they would not work. It just wasn't that they didn't have work or that they'd lost their jobs or economic circumstances had come in, but they were not working. And he says, if you don't work, if you're not willing to work, then you don't eat. And that's what the... Now, that seems to be harsh. Maybe it seems to be something that uh, is harsh. But you know, the Lord has given provision in the church to meet the needs of those who really do have a need. But if person is slothful, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 19, he also that is slothful in his work is a brother to him that is a great waster. Or it says in Proverbs 19 and 15, slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. Now, if you translate that over into the state, then, um, well, it, it, it is the responsibility of each one of us, really. It's not a state responsibility, really, at the end of the day. But if you transfer it over into the state, the state should provide for those that are in need. Those that have a deep need, the state should provide for. But for those who do not want to work, now, you have all sorts of complications in that, Maybe there are children involved, or families involved, and so on. So it's not a simple thing, but I want you to just state the principle simply. If a man will not work, neither should he eat. And that's the Bible uh, principle here. So there is the condemnation of laziness or slothfulness. But then I want you to see something else about work here. Notice the character of work. And I mean uh, by that that I want us to think about the way we work uh, because the Bible urges diligence and conscientiousness in our work. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10 it says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy mind, for there is no work nor device nor knowledge nor wisdom in the grave 
whether thou goest. Christians are to be busy. And we're not uh, to be busy uh, simply because we get paid, but we should be conscientious. Uh, it's, it's been said if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And then we could add to that, if it's worth doing, then we should do it to our very best. That's what we... There's a sense of entitlement today. Um, I, I hear... I was in some conversation, I don't know where, I, I think it was when I was in holidays, where people were saying about um, uh, people coming in to work nowadays. And you know, I, I, it was a teacher I was talking to, and he was talking about um, young people now coming into work, and they, uh, they don't want to work. They, they feel they're entitled, that just give me the pay, and, I'll do what I can. No, that's not the Christian attitude. We're to do it. The Bible says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do it to the glory of God. And we are to do all of these things to the glory of God. So here's what the Bible has to say about work. And we are to have, if our lives are to be meaningful and to be worthwhile, then we should uh, try to make our lives something that will uh, meet the needs of others and will help in our society. So there's what the Bible has to say about work. Now, the second thing that Paul says here is he speaks to these Christians who have given up their work, have been, um, they have been uh, hindered in their minds, by all of these things, he speaks about witness. Now, look at verses 7 to 9 of the portion of Scripture. Here's what Paul says here. He says, For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow. So Paul here is able to um, put himself up as an example. And he uh, is saying that he is an example to them. He said he didn't eat, eat any man's bread. The other people in the church, they were eating other people's bread. He says, I didn't do that. He says, I worked night and day to make sure I was chargeable to none of you. But I want you to see what he's saying here. I want you to see the readiness to charge here. He says that he wanted to avoid the situation where there were those that were charging him, that he would be chargeable unto any of them. And Paul knew that there were those that were watching him. Every move that he made, everything that he did, there were those that were watching him. And he wanted to make sure that there was nothing in his life that was going to be a bad witness, was going to uh, do anything that would um, lead people astray. So he um, wanted to avoid all of these accusations. And no doubt, if anything had happened, they would have taken that and they would have exaggerated and would have added to it. And they would have made a meal. Uh, these busy bodies that were in the Thessalonian church would have made a meal out of this. So Paul wanted to make sure that his witness, his testimony, was clean and pure. And he says that there's a readiness to charge. 
Now, there are times when people find nothing and they will make up things about Christians. And we find that in many ways. I know I've mentioned it before, but there are those of you that will remember way back in the 1970s, 1980s, um, when Dr. Paisley was having the big meetings and um, the collections maybe were taken up in buckets, there were those that said that uh, he had a ranch, he had bought a big ranch in America, and that all of the finance, all the money, was going to finance the big ranch in America. Well, uh, that was just made up. And people will make up things, and we know that. But we need to make sure whatever we can do to make our testimony right and clean and pure, we need to do that. You know, as we go about our daily work, our workmates and our friends and those around us are watching us. And very often, uh, the unsaved person will know more about what a Christian should do and what a Christian should not do than sometimes God's people do. And they will watch how you behave and they will watch what you do and what you laugh at and what you take amusement at and uh, the, the people that you associate with and where you go uh, and they will ask you about where you were at the weekend and all of the rest of it. And uh, if they see some hypocrisy there, well, that will be highlight, highlighted. But we realize also that not only will they recognize our inconsistencies and things that we do wrong, but they will recognize when we have a love for them and when we have a concern for them, they will notice when we take an interest in them. And you know, um, you know love because you feel it. And it's not like maybe the fluorescent light in the doctor's surgery coming or in opposition to the sunlight. Well, the fluorescent lights in the surgery, well, they're only a pale reflection of what you get outside in the glory of the light. And Paul here is concerned about his witness and his testimony. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 2 or 5 and 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. So there is a readiness to charge. But there's something else. There is a rigorous conduct. We said that the apostle wanted to avoid any charge against him. So what does he do to make sure there is no charge against him? Well, this is where we speak about this rigorous conduct. He doesn't want to do anything that is illegitimate. But he goes further than that because he leaves aside some things that are legitimate to make sure that the glory of Christ is furthered. We realize that there are times when things are legitimate, but they are not something that we should do because it is going to be misinterpreted. You think of what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 14. It says, there's a principle here. It says, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Now, it's the same thing here. Paul was saying here and in the Corinthians that as a preacher of the gospel, he had the right to ask to be fed. He had the right for people to help him and to feed him and to 
gave what they needed to him in order for him to do the work. But then it says in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17, he says, Let the elders that rule well be counted of worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. So there you have it again. The labor is worthy of its reward. And he's speaking in the context there of uh, a preacher of the gospel. So he has the right for people to feed him. But he says in this portion of scripture, he says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13 to 15, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. So what Paul is saying there is, yes, I have a right to do this, but I will set aside my right to make sure that the work of God goes forward, to make sure that there's no dissension, to make sure that I don't cause a problem, to make sure that I'm not annoying people. I will set aside my right. And I want, what I wanted to say to you today is that there are times when we might have a right to do something, when it would be scripturally right to assert our right. Maybe somebody has done something to you. Maybe they've said something to you, and what they've done, what they've said is not right. Maybe somebody has uh, been nasty to you as a brother or a sister in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's not right. And you could legitimately say, well, that was wrong. But in order to safeguard the unity and to safeguard the, um, uh, the, the wholeness of the church of Christ, you set aside your rights. Now, that's what Paul was doing here in this portion of Scripture. He was setting part, uh, aside his liberty, his rights. In verse 12, he says, we command... And exhort you by our Lord Jesus Christ and the, uh, that the witness be preserved. And so it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we do everything that we do. It is for his glory and for his honor and not our honor and our glory. So here is something about witness. There's something about work. We are to work. And we are to feed ourselves. There's something about our witness, our testimony. We are, some t- we are to make sure that everything that we do is right. And to make sure that there's no appearance of evil. And to make sure that even times we set aside what would be our right in order to further the work of God. But there's something else here. There's work. There's witness And then he says something about withdrawal. Look at verse 6 of the portion of Scripture. He says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. In the first letter to the Thessalonians, Paul said, "Uh, I beseech you, or I urge you, in First uh, Thessalonians 4, verses 10 to 12, to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may lack nothing. So he said, work with your own hands. He says, we urge you that, we beseech you to do that. 
But now this is a command. It's not just an urging, it's a command. He says, if people don't listen to the commands of God's word, if people don't listen to the exhortations of God's word, what do you do? He says, you withdraw from them. Withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly. The word disorderly, many of the authorized, or many of the modern versions have translated that word disorderly as idle. But that's not, that's not the full meaning of the word. The translators of the authorized have used the word disorderly, and that's more like it. It's a disorderly walk. It's a conduct that's not becoming. It's contrary to the rules of Christ. And he says, if there are those that start walking contrary to the rules of Christ, if they begin to um, forsake the assembling of themselves, if they begin to lie and do cheat and Anyway, we could mention any number of things. But he says here, particularly here, idleness. And he says that if they're idle, and this is the context, people don't work. He says, withdraw yourself from them. Don't walk with them. Now, let's think about this command. What does he mean, withdraw yourself from them? Well, I want you to see the crux of the command it, 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 uh, it means here that we are not to be friendly with them. In the same way, maybe you were friendly with somebody in the church and they begin to walk disorderly. It means don't be friendly with them in the way that you were before. It means they have become a disruption to the work of God and to the witness of God. And it means treat them at arm's length a little bit. Um, treat them, let them know that you just don't approve of what they have done. And we recognize that Paul is urging here a hard thing. There's a similar example in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 to 13. Paul says, But now I've written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one, know not to eat. In other words, you don't invite them round for tea. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves the wicked person. This is to do with sexual impurity, covetousness, drunkenness. You know the list there. It's, he says that um, they are to withdraw themselves from them. Now, it's obvious that it does not mean that you give them the silent treatment. It does not mean that you don't talk to them at all, because if you look at verses 14 and 15 of 1 Corinthians 5, he says, and if any man uh, obey, uh, of this portion of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, Note that man and have no company with them, him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now, there, for example, the Amish or the Jehovah Witnesses, they have a thing called shunning. And when somebody steps outside the fellowship, people have to shun them completely. Nothing to do with them at all. 
And even family members, there's broken up families. You can't speak to them. You can't have any, you can't uh, uh, have any fellowship with them at all because uh, they have um, stepped outside the rules of, of uh, the church or whatever it is. That's not what we have here because we can speak with them. We can admonish them. We can have contact with them. We can admonish them. And what's the cause of the command? We've spoken about the crux of it. What's it to do? Well, it is to restore the person. If you look at verses 14 and 15, and if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now, he's still a brother. Do you notice that? He's still a brother. We don't count him as not a brother. He's still a brother. And we can admonish him. We can speak to him. We can let him know that, uh, you know, brother, sister, you need to get back. Um, we, we love you. And you'll notice what it's about here. What do you admonish somebody for? To get them on the straight path again. To get them back into the right path. To get them obeying the word of God. And this, this is a redemptive withdrawal. In Romans 16 and verse 17, it says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. And the word avoid there does mean shun. Uh, and it, it does mean shun. But we have seen something of this shunning. It's something of love. It doesn't mean that you can't talk to them or have no contact with them whatsoever. But what you do is that you try to speak to them, to restore them, to bring them back. He says in Ephesians 5 and 7, be not ye therefore partakers with them. Don't get involved with what they're getting in. And he says um, that we are to admonish them. And look at the caution in the command. Did you see the little bit at the end? If if you look at verse 16 there, he he says, um, or or at verse... um, admonish him as a brother. And then he says, uh, now the Lord of peace himself, give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. And he speaks the, um, yet count him, look at verse 15, yet count him not as an enemy. Count him not as an enemy. Um, This is all done in love. And if the love comes through, and if we can portray the fact that we're, we're not, you're, you're some kind of a, a person that we just don't want anything to do with, you're, you're, some, you're some kind of a devil, well, we're not going to win them. But if we do it in love, and if we don't count them as an enemy, and, and if we still count them, he says, admonish them as a brother, they're still a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ, then The whole aim and object of all of this is to restore them. And the the reason for withdrawing from them is just to show them that we don't agree with what they're doing. And in times, there are times, when we need to let people know that we don't agree with what they're doing. There are standards. There are things that Christians should do and there are things that Christians should not do. And there are times when people 
break the fellowship of God's people and uh, do all sorts of things. And he speaks here of the love. He says, withdraw from them. Certainly does. He, he says here that we are um, to count them. He's count them not as an enemy, but he, he says that we are uh, to um, not walk with them and all the rest of it. But nevertheless, we do it in love to with, with, with restore. Now, there were problems in the Thessalonian church. We've seen some of the problems. The, the people here, he describes at the very start, he describes them here as people who had been shaken in mind and troubled. But he, say, but he is writing here, he is urging the other Christians to behave in such a way as we bring one another back. There can be problems, difficulties. There will be times when we rub one another up the wrong way. But what we need to have in the midst of it all is that love and concern for one another that seeks to win one another and seeks with all of our hearts to do what we can to further the work and witness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you walked in such a way, maybe, that you've wandered away? Well, our desire, the desire of God, is that you be restored and that you walk with him every step of the way, day by day. Let's just bow in a wee word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts again today. And, oh, Father, we thank thee for these practical things about work and witness and withdrawal. And, oh, God, we recognize that sometimes uh, there are times when we need to show uh, that people have done things wrong. But, Lord, help us to do that in love not count them as an enemy, but a brother or a sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, bless thy word to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to think about these things. And we pray that thou wouldst instruct us and help us in these days. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. We'll uh, sing the last hymn there, 668. Witness ye men and angels now. I don't think we've sung to him, but it'll go to common meter tune. Witness ye men and angels now. Before the Lord we speak, to him we make our solemn vow, a vow we dare not break. 668, we'll stand as we sing. Let's stand. Witness ye men and angels now Before the Lord we speak To him we make our solemn vow A vow we dare not break
our loving God and our gracious Father, we pray that thou would separate us in thy fear and with thy blessing take us to our homes in safety, watch over us throughout this day, and bless our worship as we have it offered to thee. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen.